Some of you will recognize the name Louis Zamperini. And some of you will recognize the name Louis Zamperini from the recent book, uh, Unbroken, is the title of it, published by an author, Laura Hillenbrand of Seabiscuit fame. Louis Zamperini was, a, was a, an up-and-coming Olympic athlete destined for great things among uh, runners uh, before America entered the Second World War, which rather put an end to his running career. He was in the um, Air Force and was a bombardier on B-24s in a number of runs. And then one day, with his plane shut up, they got put on a an old rickety crate of an airplane and sent out to search for an airplane that had gone down in the ocean, and their plane, in turn, crashed. And he uh, and two others found their way onto a raft, and he lived for 46 days, which I believe is a, a record in a raft on the ocean, open ocean, with these two other men, one of whom died on the journey. And after many adventures with sharks jumping at them and them trying to catch sharks and, and uh, eating the raw livers of the occasional albatross that, that came by, um, after, after these 46 days, Louis and Phil Phillips, his pilot, were taken, drifted into Japanese-controlled waters and were taken prisoner and were subjected in a number of camps to the most sadistic personal brutality as prisoners of war. And after suffering near starvation, significant disease, and degradation, the war came to an end with the bombings of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and he was liberated, and in time made it back to the United States. He was asked by a journalist to summarize his experience at that time, and he said if he knew he had to go through it again, uh, he would kill himself. But after the war, he met a beautiful woman and married her. Uh, but his demons persisted, as they did for so many prisoners of that uh, theater. And he drifted into alcoholism, or at least really significant alcohol abuse. And his wife was going to leave him. And she actually packed up and left at one point. But she went to a Billy Graham rally. And something touched her very deep in her soul. And she realized she didn't want to leave him. And she went back to Louis and set about trying to persuade him to come to a Billy Graham rally, which reluctantly, but in time, he did. And something touched him. And he came home from that and just tipped all of his booze down the sink and turned his life around in some remarkable ways, sort of got freed up. He, he became a speaker about his experience because he was somewhat well-known as an athlete. And he started some boys' camps. And, um, and he also um, went to meet some of his guards, who at that point were in prison in Japan, and told them of his forgiveness for them. There was one man who was particularly brutal, who lived really up until 2001, 2002. And he, he wouldn't meet Louis, but he, he accepted a letter of forgiveness from him. And then, as best I can tell, Louis Zamperini is still with us. He's aged 94 and uh, living, has lived a full and a rich life. One story that's particularly touching to me is in 1984, when the Olympics were assigned to, awarded to Nagano, he was invited to run with the torch, and he ran with the torch through the section of a camp in which he'd been imprisoned. 
really just extraordinary story. It's a story certainly of suffering and endurance and character and, and, and hope, even hope. But it's far from clear to me that the sufferings he endured are or should be matters for boasting. We're confronted with the sufferings of others calling forth our compassion in many various ways, our own and others every single day at the moment. I saw a photograph of uh, a full-color photograph of a Japanese woman just weeping, weeping at what's devastated her country. And we cannot be too compassionate at the moment. But somehow it just touched me in the way another picture did through all of my blasé numbness, another picture of uh, people both celebrating and fearful uh, being bombed in Libya. And I don't know how, how to explain that sometimes we get touched and compassion comes forth and these people need our compassion at the moment. And this is compounded by what's going on here at home with budget cutting fervor. And as it devolves from the federal government to the states, to the cities, we know who's going to carry the, blunt of the, the brunt of this. And it's people who are unemployed right now and it's teachers, and it's firemen, and it's policemen, and it's the people who are paid by cities who are ultimately going to carry the brunt of this interplanetary conversation that seems to be going on in Washington. And suffering is real. And even nearer to home, we have people even here wondering whether they can go on, whether it's worth it, whether ending it all is not a reasonable option in the circumstance. And I would say it's not for people of faith, but it's a question. Suffering certainly requires endurance, long, the long view, inner resources, and so on. And endurance can, up to a point, produce character. But I think it more likely that suffering and endurance will reveal character, character that is already formed before the suffering is made manifest. And people of well-formed character, integrity, differentiation, the capacity to stay connected with others, to be compassionate, to be generous, and so on, that character is most certainly marked by a reasonable and holy hope in the assurance of God's abundant love. Now, I suspect that if we could have a conversation, I would not be disagreeing that much with St. Paul and his tightly argued epistle to the Romans. We would agree that character and hope and so on are a consequence as well as a manifestation of the grace in which we stand, knowing ourselves justified by faith. And we would agree that there's a sense, a sense in which suffering is put into perspective by that divine grace, and that from the perspective of God's, God's love, suffering is most certainly not the last word. It is not what defines us, however much it can feel that way. And I would even agree with Paul that there is a sense in which God desires to use everything in life, even something as ghastly as the cross, in order to make manifest the power of divine love. But boasting in our sufferings, as though they were somehow good or desirable, is something I cannot do. At various times during the trials and tribulations of Louis Zamperini and doubtless countless uh, others who suffered in Japanese camps, it was remembering something important that kept them going. It was digging down deep to the stories that told them who they were, are, and told them what really mattered. 
in their, their four to six days on the raft, they told each other all kinds of stories, partly to keep their minds agile, but one of the things they did was they remembered in detail every recipe they could think of and described cooking and described eating these extraordinary meals bite by bite, morsel by morsel, and tricking their bodies into thinking they'd been fed. They remembered. They remembered uh, certainly their parents and brothers and sisters and loved ones. And from time to time, Zamperini needed and wanted to remember prayers, but he really hadn't got his roots in a faith. And, and did his best with uh, some religious expressions of bits and pieces of movies that he remembered as, as he buried his colleague at sea. Remembering who we are through telling the stories of what really matters is part of how our character gets formed, part of how we get strengthened, prepared, ready for the time when suffering will come to call at our doorstep. I worry a bit because of this about shifting patterns of worship, attendance in worship that have been occurring throughout this country, including the South, in recent years. Because with increased affluence and more opportunities and more things on the schedules, we've, we've been attending worship with less frequency than might have been the case for us in the past, 15, 20 years ago. And I worry because I think that we are reducing our capacity um, to be really effective, to be able to endure, to be able to draw on character. We're, we're reducing our capacity when we don't gather and remember the story on a regular basis. We reduce our capacity to be 11 in the world in times of conflict and anxiety and in, even in suffering when that comes our way. For it's here as much as anywhere, as much as the stories around our own family dinner tables, it's here that we tell and enact the story and that our character is formed and shaped toward what really matters such that when suffering comes, we can endure and find that we have real character to be revealed and we can live in the assurance of a reasonable holy hope that this suffering does not define us and is not the last word. We hope in God's extraordinary, sustaining, transformative grace and love for us. So we're formed through remembering the story, through enacting it in some way. Everything from our procession, reminding us of the journey of life, to gathering around this table with all manner of humanity, offering what we can, that is our lives, and finding them returned to us, we hope with our vision a little less distorted and our hearts a little more courageous, a little more generous, for good times and bad. And so in the self-examination of this season of Lent, our commitment to weekly worship is one of the things that might benefit from renewed consideration. Tell your friends. <laughs> so as ever, <clears throat> invite our response to the gospel in prayer, perhaps remembering the story of Louis Zamperini, thanking God for his life, and asking that we be granted what we need to endure with character and live with hope that does not disappoint us when the trials of life come our way, and at the same time giving thanks that what we do here each week is part of the answer to that prayer. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray. <clears throat>